Hey guys, Alex here, to let you know that Dungeon Tales is meant for a mature audience. This episode especially, as there's a specific scene that some listeners may find disturbing. In this scene, a monster with dog-like features gets killed off. If this is disturbing to you, we may ask that you skip past the 56-minute mark to roughly the 60-minute mark. Other than that, we hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks so much. Alex out. Welcome to Dungeon Tales, a Dungeons & Dragons 5e experience with 3.5 magic. I'm your Dungeon Master, Kai's of Stardust, joined by Mike, James, Kel, and Smokey. Without further ado, let's roll some dice! Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Kaiser Stardust, and I will be your DM for this one shot. Uh, today, we are going to focus on a certain. Would you classify your characters like a rabbit folk? Would that be how you would describe them? Uh, I think the most appropriate would be a a fae touched rabbit folk. Yes. Okay. Today we are going to focus our story on a certain fey-touched rabbit folk um, who you will be introduced to in episode six. So let us go ahead and get started. Uh, And why don't you go ahead and start by introducing uh, your name and uh, who you're going to be playing as. I am Coda, and I'm going to be playing Vichy, a cleric. All right. uh, Wonderful. Uh, all right, great. So with that being said, I think, uh, the best thing that we can do is get into a little bit of backstory. Does that sound good to you? Sounds good to me. All right. Wonderful. So let us go ahead and do a little bit of backstory here. Deep in the marshy woods of the wetlands of Mangrove, a small continent south of the land of Atoa, you will find nestled in the denser, drier parts of the forest, a small cottage with a thatch roof. This cottage is by all means quaint, in that it provides shelter from the weather and a place to lay your head. But outside of that, there's not much more to this cobblestone structure. The gnome who lives here is a somber fellow by the name of Zibs. If you were to describe him, most would say that he keeps to himself and did not care too much for the outside world. Probably why he lives in the middle of nowhere. However, he has a fondness for one thing in particular, and that's his pet rabbits. One of which is named Nuno, which roughly translates to Ear of Carrots. He, of course, would be named a different name later in his life, but for now, that's not too relevant. So, uh, I think for the, this translation, I am going to call you Nuno. So, uh, Nuno, what does a typical day look like for a pet rabbit um, around four months or roughly 12 years old in human time look like? Like, what does your average day look like as your uh, your master is kind of just doing his own thing uh, in the cottage or out, like, gathering stuff for uh, dinners and things of that nature? Well, you see, get up, 
look around a little bit. Maybe eat a couple greens, eat a carrot here or there. Flop over on your side and go back to sleep. And then you get back up, eat a little bit more, and go back to sleep. Okay. Uh, so just kind of just a, a, a pretty simple existence for the most part, correct? Eat, sleep, and run around your little area. Okay. The... I'm going to say this uh, to describe the the inside of this little cottage a little bit more. You see, Zibs, for the most part, uh, has a very uh, interesting profession, uh, I suppose some could say. Uh, Instead of how most would live out their life, uh, which would be, you know, in this neck of the woods, they would be hunting and and fishing and things of that nature, and, and that's how they do their commerce. For whatever reason, Zibs enjoys collecting oddities. So he, for the most part, even though this is a small cottage, has converted most of it into a oddities and wares sorts of uh, shop, if you will. But he doesn't actually have any customers that come here. Instead, once every few weeks, a delivery serviceman will stop by and take a bunch of things and send them out into town, where... If they sail, the gentleman will come back and give him payment for these said items. Um, with this being the case, uh, Zips does a lot of traveling, uh, which is where he ended up finding Nuno. Uh, Nuno and, of course, his family as well. Um, with this being the case, uh, he decided to convert most of the main... Um, living quarters of this cottage into a, for the most part, rabbit enclosure. And that is where he has kind of put that as like basically this kind of makeshift table slash rabbit enclosure where he keeps uh, Nuno and his family. With this being the case, uh, every now and then as you kind of peek outside the uh, glass enclosure where you are into the main rest of the living room, you'll see uh, Zib's Uh, milling around with odds and trinkets, and he'll be like, Ah, this is an interesting one. Hmm, I think I'll put this one over here. And maybe this one will go over there. Ooh, no, this doesn't look right at all. And you just see this small stature of a man just kind of going around for the most part and just moving things around to you. Uh, And he does this for several hours out of the day, and then he'll leave for a long period of time to where you honestly lose track of him. Um, for the most part, you hang out with your four other siblings, um, and your mother and father. Um, what does a, a typical day, uh, you are currently, of course, the oldest of your four siblings. Um, what do you kind of like, uh, what does your typical day kind of look like with you and your siblings when you're hanging out? Uh, well, rabbits are very, very much like cats and dogs, and they will, you know, play around with each other, jump on each other, chase each other, bite at each other, playfully, of course. And okay. so that would be the majority of the interaction between the two. All right. Um, here's one thing. Uh, do rabbits, like, uh, do they play with, like, toys and stuff much like cats? Because I, I think they do. If they I'm... do. Um, what sorts of toys do you think, uh, like a rabbit in this situation would like really enjoy? Like what would, what would, uh, like, why, what would Nuno I, enjoy playing with? Like, if, like a ball or. I think if, if we're in an oddity store, maybe like a little ball that when you hit it, it releases a little bit of light. 
Okay. With a little light cantrip spell in it. Gotcha. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's safe to say that uh, during um, during Zib's travels, he one day came by with this uh, little circular spear that he sets down in the middle of your enclosure, uh, and you just see him kind of smiling at you guys, and he says, uh, "Enjoy, guys. I found this during one of my travels, and I was thinking of you guys. Have fun." And then he closes the lid and uh, walks away to go do other things, um, and. Tell you what, uh, get, let's make this a little bit of a small mini game here. Let's roll some dice here. Uh, give me an investigation check if you could. Investigation appropriate for my character. Uh, I am very, very lucky when it comes to rolls. The first roll of the night and the first roll that we've had is a natural twenty. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so twenty-two. Uh, appropriate. That, that's very awesome. appropriate. So with a nat 20, uh, I think you're the first of your brothers and rest of your family to see this uh, thing and I think take interest. You kind of scurry out. Uh, meanwhile, the rest of your siblings are kind of like tucked away in a corner as most kind of fearful uh, smaller creatures will do when a new item is introduced into their world. Um but you're an adventurous sort. Uh, I think uh, you have a curious mind about you, and you just kind of go up to this uh, spear, and you kind of just... Uh, do you reach out with, like, a paw, or do you, like, boop it with your nose? How, how, how would you interact with this? Uh, it would be more of a boop with a nose. Okay. Uh, you you reach out uh, with your nose and, and boop this, uh, this spear, and, and you see it kind of roll uh, forward a little bit, uh, not towards you, but away from you, and it also kind of flashes with this small, soft glow of a light. Uh, it's a very peaceful light. It's a very tr- kind of tranquil light. It's nothing harsh or aggressive, but it's just a very soft glow. Um, and I think uh, a- after seeing this, the rest of your brothers and sisters uh, kind of come out from where they were hiding, and they all start to kind of boop it and uh, bat it around with their, their paws Um and start kind of moving it around. Um, I think it ends up turning into a small game of uh, make... Sh- I, I don't want to use the word soccer because you guys are not sentient creatures, um, but basically... It's keep away. Ye- it's who gets to boop it the most. Exactly. Uh, so tell you what, uh, let's uh, see how well you do on this keep away sort of situation. Uh, go ahead and give me a performance roll, and you can use... Um, athletics modifiers if you have them if not just um performance you can wait why does performance roll under charisma that doesn't sound right i think Uh, performance is a charisma roll i guess it is you know what yeah i mean in this context of course it's not a charismatic thing um but i think i think it's a display of like how well you do it i'm loosely interpreting this so if you want to do performance or athletics, whichever one works better for you. That's a four. Okay. Uh, with a four. So that would be a six total for both. With a six. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and roll for your brothers and sisters. And just a d20 here. Uh, okay. They got a 12. Uh, so I think for the most part, you were kind of enjoying this, uh, but then your brothers and sisters just kind of swoop in, 
Uh, and just with the how many uh, other siblings you have, they all just kind of manage to get this away from you. Uh, and they're just kind of booping it around the cage and, and running after each other. Um, and do you kind of chase after them in this situation? Or is it more so just kind of like a all oh, okay sort of thing? Oh, no, I would absolutely chase after them. Okay, I think you chase after them. And I think between the comparison of the 4 and the 12 there, I, I think... I think you do a decent job, but for whatever reason, they're always just one step ahead of you with that boop or that paw hit, and they just kind of make a very good job of keeping it away from you. But as the fun dies down, uh, eventually the ball goes back to the kind of the middle of this uh, small little enclosure, um, and you're able to kind of like boop it around and stuff, and as everyone else is kind of chilling out. Um, and that's kind of, for the most part, uh, the, the end of your, your afternoon here. Uh, nothing else really eventful happens except your owner does come back and uh, he feeds everyone uh, your favorite um, lettuce with a mixture of uh, carrots kind of just all blended together in this one big bowl. Um, and uh, that's kind of a night for you. Um, as the uh, days progress, uh, you know, uh, time doesn't really have a relative um concept in this as of course uh you are not a sentient creature nor do you really care about the passing of time uh it's more so just awake and asleep um but during one of your waking cycles uh you notice something a little bit different um you wake up and instead of your normal breakfast uh your bowl is left empty uh, and you hear some chatter amongst uh, your family, just kind of wondering the absent thoughts of, hmm, wonder where the food's coming. And uh, you hear basically this phrase just kind of repeatedly repeated through most of your family members. Um, and everyone kind of like waits expectantly near the bowl, because usually during that time frame uh, is when, you know, the, the owner, sometimes he'll sleep in a little bit. And uh, during that time frame, uh, you know, Zibs will wake in a start and then he'll he'll come down and see all of you waiting by your bowl and quickly feed you. However, for this day, this doesn't happen. Um, and you guys decide to go back to sleep and you wake up. But this time to some commotion, um, you hear some noise. Um, give me a perception check. That would be a 19 total. Oh, uh, okay. Um, with a 19, uh, you... Uh, yeah, with a 19, you kind of like snap to because these are loud noises. Uh, and you being the adventurous uh, sort kind of uh, peek out from underneath of your... I'm going to say like you have like a small little kind of like box slash crate that you kind of go into to kind of burrow into to go to sleep. Um, I think that that's an accurate... Would you say that's yes, accurate? That that is accurate. Okay. Um, as you kind of peek out from your enclosure, you see a, uh, a figure uh, kind of walking around in this, uh, in this uh, enclosure. And, and since you don't really speak common, uh, you just kind of hear just uh, grunts and, and, and noises from this, this figure. He's... Um, but to those of us who do speak the more um, common of the languages, uh, it roughly translates to, 
Ah, where is it? I know it's around here somewhere. I tell you, if that Zibs has lost it, I'm going to lose it. Wait a second. Here it is. And you see this figure bend down and pick up something out of what seems to be a small box. And um, this figure who is wearing what looks to be a long robe and, and a hood over his face, uh, you see a small circular shiny object that he uh, has plucked out of a small little box. Uh, it looks circular uh, and golden um, and it shines in the light. And he, uh, you see him place it on one of his fingers. And he says, uh, <sighs> I tell you, Guy's always taking things that he doesn't belong to him. This belongs to me, not him. Maybe, maybe I should take something of his. And with this, uh, you who are still kind of staring out uh, at this this uh, this humanoid figure, who you know not to be Zibs. I, I think it's very common uh, that you would know that this is not Zibs. You don't know who this. Mm person is but um they turn their attention to you guys uh and they start kind of walking over to where the counter is uh where your enclosure is and you see at this point the rest of your family members have kind of like joined around you um and you see him open the enclosure uh and i think at this point like your mother and father kind of like step out of where where they are thinking that maybe it's like a food thing um they're they're curious but they're not exactly sure what's going on um but you see um the uh you see this this um gentleman reach down into this enclosure and take your mother and take your father out of the uh the encampment and you see him just put them into a a sack that he has kind of slung over his shoulder um for you I, i'm gonna say give me an uh, this is an interesting thing give me an um i want to say just give me an intelligence roll eight <laughs> okay. um i mean this makes sense for a non-sentient character uh here's what i'm gonna say with an eight with an eight this is not necessarily uncommon with uh with zibs uh to most of us more human listeners uh, we would know that, I mean, you have to take rabbits out of their cages every now and then to clean them, which is unfortunately very frequently uh, with the amount of maintenance that rabbits need. Um, so it's not very uncommon for, you know, them to be removed out of their cages, you know, put into not usually a sack, usually like another smaller crate or something of that nature. Um, but it strikes you as a little bit odd because I guess like just the way that they're being kind of roughly handled. But then... Another weird thing happens. The enclosure, the ceiling, I'm going to say to you it's a ceiling. The ceiling above you does not go back closed. It, it instead has remained open. Uh, and you are able to see a quote-unquote different ceiling. This one may be more of a wooden structure um, higher above you, way out of reach. Um, but with that, you hear some more grunts and mutters and to us translating, of course. Uh, it is roughly as follows. Well, that's the last of it. And, hey, maybe I've got two additional here for uh, a couple extra copper. All right, well, I suppose I should get out of here. Zibs is going to be returning back soon anyway. <laughs> I'd love to see the look on his face, but I don't have time today. And uh, with that, this gentleman leaves. Uh, and...
With that, uh, the door is also left open and you are uh, able to feel some of the the warm uh, summer breeze kind of blowing in through this uh, cottage. Um, what do you do in this situation? You and, and the rest of your brothers and sisters are kind of just uh, milling around and, and your parents are no longer in this cage. Um, what do you do? Oh, I don't trust this guy and I don't know him and... It was, there was no chance for me to bite him, was there? Not really in this instance. Uh, I mean, not really. I mean, it was happening at, at such kind of like a quick, uh, like he really just kind of went in there, swooped him up. It was a very fast swoop. Uh, nothing really you could react to. Can I, uh, would I be able to jump out of the, out of the enclosure? Um, tell you what, uh, it is, uh, it is something that, yes, you could, there, there probably would be a bit of a tumble on the other side. Of course, you being a rabbit would not know that. Um, but this is just out of character knowledge, but yes. Uh, and if you wanted to, you could give me a dexterity check. That would be a acrobatics, a 10, 10 total. 10 total. Racial. Okay, uh, yeah, I think that makes sense. Uh, so we'll go with the 10. So with a 10, I'm going to say that you beat that DC check. Um, do you say anything to your brothers and sisters? You, of course, can speak the same language as your your brothers and sisters. Uh, you hear them kind of talking about, like, food and uh, where mom and dad are. Um, what, do you tell them anything before trying to hop out of this enclosure? Nope. No? <laughs> okay. Uh with that, uh, and hearing uh, the concerns from your brothers and sisters, uh, you do one big powerful jump, um, a bunny jump to be specific, and you hop out of this enclosure. Uh, you leap over this wall, uh, sailing over it um, very gracefully, and this is the first time you've done this, and, and you can feel the wind whipping through your ears uh, as they wiggle through the breeze, um, and you... As you're kind of completing your arch, you kind of look down and you notice that uh, the ground beneath you is is relatively far away. Um, and oh, you, no. you see uh, that there's a, a, another crate that's kind of beside this um, enclosure uh, that you could possibly try and wiggle your, your trajectory to uh, midair um, to be able to kind of like prevent yourself from taking a too hard of a tumble. Um, go ahead and give me a dexterity saving throw. And that's a 20, because I have right. a plus one on my dexes. Wonderful. Um, with a 20, you are able to gracefully, just as uh, squirrels are able to adjust their trajectory, or cats, um, you uh, see your target, you uh, move your body uh, with it, um, and you are able to land on this crate um, with kind of a small thud. Uh, and then from there, you're able to hop down into the uh, the main living room of this area. Um, as you look around, you can notice that this room is really big to you. Uh, you know, things tower over you. Uh, there's items and trinkets on the walls and the ceiling, um, and small bottles are lined up against the, the far shelves. Um, and it all is kind of just a little bit overwhelming for you. Uh, what do you do in this situation? Uh, you do smell, I will say this, you smell, uh, the fresh grass and the fresh flowers, um... And you can smell the the leaves and just that kind of uh, evening dew that is starting to kind of set down on the uh, the grass from outside. 
Um, and uh, the, the wind is kind of wafting in through this open um, door. What do you do? Well, I still don't trust this guy. And, and I see that he's left the door open. And I'm going to go that way. So I'm going towards the open door. You make your way out the door. And as you make your way out the door, uh, your nose kind of uh, goes down kind of low to the ground and you kind of sniff around. Um, give me a, uh, let's go ahead and go with survival or nature, either or, whichever's higher. Uh, survival would be. Okay, go ahead and give me a survival check. I believe. Uh, that is... Thirteen. Okay. Yeah, thirteen. I can do math. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> uh, with the thirteen, what you are kind of looking around for is any kind of scent um, from your mother and father, or this uh, stranger scent, more kind of heavily uh, must scent of this mysterious man, who is of course not um, your your owner, Zibs. Um, you are able to catch that scent in the uh, the air. Uh, and do you stop for any food or anything like that? Or do you start kind of following that? What do you do in this situation? Oh, I absolutely stop for food. Okay. Um, sure. <laughs> that, that's just going to happen. Okay, so you, you hang around for like four minutes and <laughs> like start munching on some of the fresh flowers and, and the leaves uh, and you get like a nice good good meal in uh, really kind of give you that energy um, after a minute though you kind of pick back up and you're like wait a second uh, I should probably be doing that one thing uh, finding my family and this guy as you kind of notice the scent is trying to get uh, a little bit more faint um, but you're able to pick it up and you start following after it uh, you are running through a forest uh, you are well, not necessarily forest. You're, you're running through kind of like muddy terrain, uh, and then it switches over to more grass, and uh, then eventually it starts getting more uh, wooden areas. Uh, the uh, the roots of the trees start kind of becoming a little bit more treacherous. You're having to leap over them. Uh, and as you kind of look around, uh, the light is starting to kind of escape this area, and it's kind of taking on more of a greener kind of somber uh, glow. Um, but uh, you are still able to see where you're going. Um, this scent leads you deeper into the woods, and I want you to go ahead and give me, uh, as you're kind of getting a little bit further, I want you to give me a perception check. This perception check is not for what you are currently doing. This is for something else that is going on. Uh, 13 again. For a 13, uh, you hear a brief and familiar call. Uh, from your owner, Zibs. It is faint, it is far away behind you, but you uh, do hear um, a faint call, Nuno, Nuno, where are you? Um, coming from further behind you. Uh, what do you do in this situation? Pause, look towards where I was going and where the voice came from. And yeah, it's from further I'm back. I'm gonna, I'm going to roll it a d4 to see if I decide to go towards the voice or where I was going. So high is towards uh, the voice, and one is the other way. Okay. So that that is a four. So I go back towards Nips. 
as you start making your way back over to Zibs, I now need you um, to give me another perception check. This is for something different. And I do apologize for all the same similar roles there. It's all good. Not much a rabbit can do other than perceive things. True. Uh, that would be a 15 total. Okay. Uh, this entity got a three. Um, so they're not being relatively stealthy about this. But uh, as you start kind of making your way back, you hear um, coming from some of the shrubs uh, a faint rustling. Uh, and then you hear a hissing sound. Um, and as you kind of look over, uh, you see emerging out of the shrubs a long, worm-like, almost green and brown um, tubular creature. And uh, as you can kind of uh, take a look at this, um, and as it is approaching you, there is a instinct in your mind that says, this is danger. This is not good. This, this hiss that it is doing is meaning ill harm to me. What do you do now? So the the fight or flight or freeze instinct kicks in and um, Nuno is going to freeze for a moment before maybe like a, a twig snaps underneath it or some more rustling. And then uh, he's going to bolt. Okay. Uh, complete opposite direction of where this creature is. Okay. Uh Give me a dexterity saving throw as like this, uh, as like you see this creature kind of pause as well, almost like it's analyzing you. Um, you got an eleven yeah, total. Got an eleven. Okay, it got a nine. Uh, you are able to, um, as this, as you see, just this kind of stare down happening between you and just this kind of stare down happening between you and this this other creature. Um, you see it just reflectively uh, just go in lunging for you with its mouth open and you see these fangs kind of glint in the the evening light Uh, you bolt backwards the opposite way and just in time as this uh, this creature slams its mouth down into the ground where you were standing Um, and uh, you you book it Uh, you are actually booking it back in the direction you are uh, you had just came from Uh, you were able to pick back up that scent um, but at this point, you are running, um, for the most part, I'm going to say, uh, you can roll for this as well, but I'm just going to say pretty much blindly, just trying to get away from this creature, correct? Absolutely. Okay. You are you are running blindly through the forest, and at this point, I think that the the scent of this, uh, this creature, I'm going to kind of roll here. So I got a 15. I think for the most part... This is kind of just my interpretation of the series of events that are happening, but I think that you are still trying to follow this scent for as much as possible. Um, but the the way that the force is kind of looping back and forth on in on itself, it makes it very difficult, especially when you are running as, as sprinting as much as you are. But um, eventually you come up to a clearing and you catch your breath as you know at this point you've put some good distance between you and this creature uh you listened for a little bit give me a one perception check just rolled a 15 on my d20 so okay so 15 would be a 22 because i have a plus seven so with a 22 you stop and you listen and besides from the 
sounds of nature uh, and the birds and, and tweets and other uh, non-threatening sounds. You don't hear anything else from this uh, from this uh, this creature that was chasing you. But you also notice that you don't necessarily smell the scent of your mother or this this strange uh, man. Um, but you do see ahead of you. There's another humanoid. Um, he has his back to you, and you see that he is wearing a uh, another kind of like long hood over his his body, and most of his his features are shrouded in this loose cloth. Um, that seems to drape loosely over him. Um, you see, uh, he's kind of, uh, he's kind of just standing at, like, one of the trees uh, ahead of you, uh, further on in this clearing. And he has his back to you. Um, you see, uh, him take, he has, like, a large, uh, stick in his hand, and he is kind of waving it around in a slow and rhythmic, uh, circle. Um, and... A few moments passes as you're kind of studying this, and then you hear a whoosh of some sort of uh, energy, and and all of a sudden your senses are overwhelmed with this this citrusy scent, um, and uh, you see a light flash before you where this uh, where this tree uh, this this um, humanoid is standing in front of this tree, uh, and with this. As this this tree starts to kind of warp, uh, it almost takes on a crescent shape. Um, it goes from a vertical stance and to start to the bark starts to kind of warp into this long kind of crescent shape. To us uh, normal sentient folks, it almost looks like a crescent moon. Um, and uh, as it warps and shapes, you see that uh, the the air around this starts to ripple. Um, and for your rabbit eyes, you see that on the other side of this, this area looks sunny and peaceful and bright, unlike this dark kind of ever getting more dark forest. And you see this humanoid steps through and starts walking. And you can still see them walking, but it's almost like they start walking further and further away, um, even though to your eyes, they haven't really moved. And then all of a sudden, they just kind of blink out of existence. But you see that where this crescent um, moon shape is, uh, you can still see that bright summer, uh, summery kind of um, environment. And with that, uh, everything looks very peaceful. What do you do? I'm going to go through the tree. Okay, uh, you hop over some of these gnarled roots, and uh, you feel kind of like a, what almost feels like warm sunshine, um, kind of radiating onto your fur as you cross through uh, this tree. Um, but then that kind of is replaced with what feels more like that feeling that you felt when you were jumping through the air, um, about to land on the other side of that uh, enclosure. Uh, you feel the wind whipping through your ears. Uh, you feel um, just this kind of sense that you are just flying. Um, and uh, in some ways, it's freeing. It's a very freeing feeling um, because most land creatures are meant to be on the land, not in the air. Um, however, even 
with this being said, uh, it is a free freeing sense, but you start to kind of feel uh, as you're you're flying, uh, you start to kind of feel like you may, uh, like your vision is kind of like changing as if uh, you're getting kind of taller. Um, and as you're, you kind of feel this, uh, you are, I, I would say like, I feel like you're kind of doing the Superman pose. Like you, you kind of have like your, your paws like outstretched, like as if you're in your like a leaping position. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Um, you are kind of like watching your paws and it seems like your paws are kind of elongating themselves and it almost like your arms are kind of stretching out and reaching out, uh, further in front of you than you are. Um, and it, it almost feels like you are kind of stretching out further. Like, it feels like a good stretch to you, like, um, when you first wake up. Um, but something does kind of feel different. Uh, you do feel kind of like some things shifting on your body. But you can't really focus on this for too long, because uh, as long as this jump feels, at the same time, it is relatively short. And you land down on the ground. Um, but your trajectory is weird. Almost as if, like, where your hind legs should be and where your front paw should be, something is not right. Um, and instead of being able to gracefully land down on the ground like a cat or, well, a rabbit, you tumble. And and it feels almost like a cylindrical tube, almost. Like, you, and nothing feels right. Like, everything feels off. Um, and you just kind of tumble down on the ground uh and you are on like a, a soft metally heels so hill so you're not taking any um like damage or anything like that but it, it's uh it's almost like you kind of start rolling down this hill a little bit and everything kind of feels where uh very weird give me a perception check uh, i just want to kind of see like what what you all are kind of like sensing in this situation uh 24 total okay with a 24, yes, something is definitely wrong. Um, you kind of look down and look around and you are more humanoid and you are higher up off the ground. Uh, you're at this point sitting up in kind of a, I would say a, to you would be a kneeling position, but it's, it's, it's more so at this point, you are more so in a bowing situation, just kind of like, it's a very weird uh, position that you are in from the tumble. But as you kind of sit up and, and correct yourself, you are no longer sitting on, on your haunches uh, on long extended rabbit paws, but you see that you have small little, um, how would you describe your character in humanoid form? I'm not gonna describe them any further than that. Uh, just looks like a normal, anthropomorphic rabbit uh, except for the fact that you know as I said earlier is a very long tail and is a very lean not not a lot of meat on his bones very skinny you want more on um, that or no yeah no I, I think that makes sense just kind of like a very long kind of like a thin um, he is a lanky boy yeah I, I think I think honestly, my best recommendation, uh, my best interpretation of it is, if you were to take Link and put Link into the equivalency of like a, a rabbit, like humanoid character, I, I think that would be like the body type. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. Very, very Link-like. Um, and I think as you kind of look down, like nothing else has really changed. Like your fur is still the same uh, color, but your tail is a lot longer. And you notice that there's kind of like this uh, 
small little orb on it. it, it and at this, it, it, right now, uh, it's just kind of like this white fluff ball, but it, it's you now have a lot longer of a tail um, than what rabbits really should have. Um, and as you're trying to just kind of get your bearings uh, and take a look around, you see really, uh, really intense, bright foliage. As you kind of look around behind you, you see, uh, you see that there are huge towering, uh, what look to be trees, uh, with big, huge, uh, plus of white fluff on them, which, uh, we would, of course, be seeing and interpreting giant tree-like dandelions. Um, behind you, uh, you do see that there are uh, mushrooms and brightly colored flowers, and there is a relatively huge stream that is kind of running by the embankment of this uh, small piece of land here. Um, and these trees and foliage and grass types and flower types that you have never seen before seem to stretch on for miles. Apart from this river that seems to be kind of flowing past the area that you are currently at, which seems to have a cobblestone um, archway structure uh, that seems to be going over this and meeting itself on the other side of this uh, landmass. With this being the case, um, give me another perception check as you're kind of like walk, trying to kind of like figure out where to go and things of that nature. That will be a 15 total. Okay. Let me ask you something. This is something more so out of character. Um, are you like, because at this point you have more so legs. Like, how do you walk at this point? Do you just kind of just figure out, like, does it take you a little bit of time to figure out how to, like, stand up and things of that nature? How, how do, would that work? I think it takes him a few minutes. He, you know, of course, gets wobbly off of uh, his hands and knees at first because that's what he's used to uh, finds that that's not very comfortable to move around and after a couple minutes working how to move how to get everything up finally stands up and taking a few careful steps everything's wobbly his legs are not used to the movement finally manages after stumbling quite a few times maybe falling a few times uh, to get somewhat of a decent ability to stumble along. Basically how if, if you've ever been like really drunk, that's what he looks like right now. Mm, okay. I, I, I that makes sense because I think like some of our listeners may be trying to interpret it kind of like, and, and I know my mind kind of goes here as well. Uh, I think some of our listeners may be trying to interpret it like a baby start, like taking its first steps. But I don't think that that would necessarily be the case because it's not like you're like a, you know, a baby. You know how to walk, but it's more so right. a different way. Relearning how to walk, basically. Yeah. So I think it's, I, I think at this point, it's kind of like, a, I think that the best way to describe it will probably be kind of like a toddler, like an older toddler, where they still kind of fall down every now and then or get tired of standing on their legs or whatever so it's just like that weird like you know how to walk it's just like a weird transition right it, it take him a few minutes exactly. maybe you know 20 25 minutes from now he's gonna be fine okay here's what i'm gonna say uh during this time uh, you're taking in your sights trying to figure out how to operate this new body of yours and uh not trip over your tail and and figure out you know foot placement and things like that it it, it takes a bit um, you, what did you roll for your perception check again? Uh, that was a 15. I rolled an 8. 
Okay. Uh, with a 15, you see, um, as you're kind of taking in these sights and figuring out all of this, uh, you see that there are these, um, uh, you see that there's these, uh, medium-sized kind of plants. They, they come out, um, I would say, uh, um, they come out, I would say, about, uh, about three feet tall, um, they are these kind of like purple plants and they seem to have these tendrils that kind of just uh, waft in the air. Uh, and they smell very, uh, to you, uh, they smell very like floral. Um, it's weird because to you, they almost look like mushrooms, but they emanate a very sweet, very kind of uh, nectarish kind of scent um, that is very palatable to you. Um, what do you um what do you do in this situation uh like do you kind of like walk over to them like what do you do uh, i would i would carefully go over to them uh, i've never seen anything like this before so i would go over to it maybe you know like is there any sticks or anything around that i could poke pick up and poke them with uh yeah i mean right next to you there is a giant um brightly colored flower that towers over you and uh, it does have uh, some small little roots and, and twigs that kind of fall down from the ground uh, will fr- fall down from it that you could easily pick up and, and use as like a like a makeshift uh, stick yes okay I'd like to, to grab one of those and, and poke this uh, closer one here okay um, there is no other way to really do this uh, give me an attack roll okay I'm just going to use, just for the simple fact of it, just a quarter staff, because that's the simplest thing I have. That's fine. So that is a plus four to hit. Okay. Uh, 22. I rolled an 18. Okay. Uh, yeah, that is more than enough. Uh, you uh, timidly, uh, timidly, that's the word I'm looking for here, you timidly uh, reach forward and poke this uh, this for lack of better words, uh, really sweetly smelling flower slash mushroom um, with tendrils floating around on it. And it kind of gives with your uh, with your poke. Um, I think overextending your body, here's what I'm going to say. I think overextending your body uh, to try and kind of poke this thing uh, may have sent you a little bit off balance. And instead of like, you know, lightly touching it, uh, which would be probably what most people do, I think that you just kind of fall forward and just skewer it uh, completely through. Uh, would you say this is probably accurate? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah that makes sense. Because this AC is like five. <laughs> so, um, you, as you're kind of like riding yourself uh, and trying to kind of like uh, not completely fall down onto the ground, uh, this creature. Uh, what was your damage for that? Three damage. Three damage. Three damage. Okay. As you skewer this creature, uh, you leave a relatively uh, medium-sized hole in it, um, but uh, you're able to, to also uh, get, you know, right yourself and get up off of it. Um, and as you do, uh, this creature starts making a very loud uh, screaming sound. Um, almost like uh, a, for us at home, almost sounds like a tea kettle whistling. Um, 
It's very loud, it's very ear-piercing, and it takes you aback, almost kind of stunning you uh, with how loud this is. Um, and uh, But, like, nothing else really happens um, specifically. But there's another one on the other side of the bridge that also starts shrieking very loudly. Uh, and, and now, uh, as you kind of take a look around behind you, you also hear additional shrieking. It seems like there's more of these things behind you uh, back uh, the way you came as well. And it seems like they're now all shrieking this very loud uh, sound. Uh, and it's almost very overwhelming for you. But after a while, this sound dies down and it stops. Um, and they no longer uh, make any more sounds. Um, but uh, as you uh, go to pull the stick back, you can see that this stick uh, has basically disintegrated um, from where it was skewered through. Uh, the stick is no longer there, and instead it, it's almost like the stick has basically degraded in, in this kind of black, uh, goopy substance um, and you kind of get the sense that whatever this is, it, it basically has um, destroyed this thing uh, with this kind of... It almost looks like it has rotted, like this this trunk has rotted away, basically. Um, but as you're still trying to kind of process this, you hear off in the distance a... And as you look up, give me a perception check, please. Uh, 16 plus 7 is 23. 23, okay. I am. So this to... is more normal to my rolls. Uh, yeah. Uh, I am... usually roll high. I am going to go ahead and have them roll. Ooh. Ooh, okay. Um, so you rolled a 23, correct? Correct. Okay. Here's what I'm going to say. If you did not look up when you did, you would have missed this. Um, you see, almost coming out of nothingness, is two relatively large dogs that are still, even with your newfound height, are still almost up to your torso in, in height. Um, these dogs almost come out of what seems to be absolute thin air. Um, and you hear them kind of snarling and barking at each other. Uh, and they um, start looking around. And I'm going to have them both give perception checks. Uh, go ahead and give me a stealth check. I want to see how well you're hidden right now. I rolled another 16. So that is going to be a 17 with these uh, fighting stats. Okay. Uh, here's what I'm going to say. The first one uh, doesn't seem to notice you. However, the other one rolled a 21. Um, they almost lock eyes with you. Uh, and, like, you see them kind of snarl and you see them kind of holding up the mouth a little bit. Uh, go ahead and roll initiative for me. I don't have a, a good initiative, so... Seven! Fantastic. <laughs> Let me go ahead and roll here for their initiative. They got a 14... And I'm going to say that the one who locked eyes with you and started charging forward is the one who got the 14, and the other one got a 12. I'm going to go ahead and have this one roll for an attack. 
and let's see what it does. Uh, let's see here. I guess it, I mean, it's just going to go in for a bite. That's really all these things can really do. Um, that is a 10 plus a 3. That is a 13. Uh, 13 hits you, yeah? Because you got 11, right? That's correct. Okay. Uh, so this first one, you don't even really have time to react as it lunges forward and closes the distance between you and it, and it bites into your, uh, your shoulder. Uh, it deals, it does seven points of damage to you, uh, as it kind of tears into the, the soft flesh of your shoulder. All right, uh, that is the end of its turn. It is now the second Blink Dog's turn. I'm gonna go ahead and have it roll an attack as it charges forward and tries to kind of come in from the, the other side of this, this creature. I'm gonna go ahead and have it roll. It rolled an 18. Um, so 15 plus three will be 18. And then I'm, that hits as well. Uh, so it comes in from the back and bites into you for six points of uh, piercing damage. Um, and for the most part, effectively, these things are ganging up on you. Um, what do you do in this situation? You are currently now, um, you are now up. Is there, what do I have at my disposal in this form? Uh, sure, sure. Uh, give me a perception check. Uh, I, I think at this point you are classified as unarmed. Uh, that'd be a 20. No, 13. I did it right the time. Okay. I actually added it. Sweet. So with a 13, immediately behind you is that same flower. Uh, you are able to actually find uh, that this flower does have some thorns on it as well. Uh, you are thinking about possibly breaking off one of the thorns, but you see that there's a relatively long one that is easy to kind of grab hold of uh, at the base of this tree that's fallen off just from old age. Um, you are able to pick that, I that up, and I will say that that is the equivalency of the stats of a short sword. You should have that now in your inventory. Uh, I should have just auto-updated. Yep, I have it. So I'm gonna have a rolled hit. Uh, seven to hit. Okay, which one are you going for? This one right here. Okay. And I'm trying to smash him into the plant. Uh, okay. Uh, here's what I'm going to say. Uh, a seven doesn't hit their a like doesn't hit their AC, but I don't think that that's what you're trying to do in this situation. So it's trying to push him. Yeah. So tell you what. I'm going to say that that's an athletics check, because that is, you are, you are trying to physically push this thing. 15 total. Okay. That'll, that'll work. Um, with a 15, you are able to successfully push this, uh, this dog over into the, uh, where you want it to go, uh, over into this plant. This plant, as retaliation to this, is going to... Oh, wow, do a multi-attack. Um, because at this point, it has already been stabbed through with a giant <laughs> stick. I think it's yep. just done dealing with things today. Uh, it is going to go ahead and make... Wow, okay, that is a nat 20. Uh, so that is a crit. Uh, and then it is going to do another roll, oh my god, which is a 17 plus 2, which is a 19. So a 22 and a 19. Yeah, this thing is done with people's garbage today. Hold on. It might do more than two attacks. Wait. Oh my god, it does four hits. Actually, oh my goodness, this, this damage isn't correct either. This is a 1d8, not a 1d4. I'm sorry. So this is actually 
nine points of damage, not four. Um, so that is a damage of five. It now has eight health, but I still have to roll two more times uh, for this thing. Um, I, you may have just killed this. Uh, let's see here. Let me just fix that. Uh, so four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. So minus five more. Uh, and then that's only one attack. Uh, let me <laughs> just do the other one here. Uh, all right. And then uh, that's five points. Uh, so I'm just going to subtract another five from that. Uh, that is another nat 20 plus two. Uh, another crit. And a 19 plus two. Um, okay, I think... <laughs> I think that this thing is dead. Because that's a 1d8. It is now at one point of health. And yeah, there is there is no way that it's going to live past this. Unless I... Nope. Yeah. This thing... <laughs> this thing is dead. Uh, you have successfully killed that. Um, okay. Uh, so here's what happens. That, that was a lot of math for me to say that this was dead. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm glad that there's... It's okay, a... I only have six HP left. Uh, it's, it's funny, though, because uh, I think here is what happens. Um, this thing, as this dog is, is pushed into this, uh, this, this creature, this, this uh, mushroom-like flower entity with these long tendrils, I think what happens is... Instinctively, you, again, you hear that shrieking sound, and again, uh, chiming around all of uh, around you is this cacophony of screeches that is just ear splitting. And you see the other dog is disoriented a little bit and kind of whines in protest. Uh, but this other dog that is you have pushed into this, you see those tendrils just shoot out of this plant and grab hold of this uh, this this um, dog. And you see it trying to bark uh, to its comrade to kind of help it out, but there is nothing that can really be done as these tendrils just dig into the flesh of this creature. And you see where those wounds are. You see just this black ichor start to kind of uh, consume this creature. Uh, it lets out a final yelp as before basically this, uh, this um, plant uh, basically uh drags this creature inside of it, um, which doesn't even really make sense because this only is about the size of your torso, but somehow you just see the the flesh around this uh, mushroom-shaped uh, entity just kind of basically almost turn gelatinous and basically start sucking this creature into it. Um, with that being the case, uh, that creature is now dead. Um, I'm going to have this other one roll a pure um, luck check to see if it is swayed, uh, swayed by this watching its comrade literally get devoured by a plant. Um, that is a fail. I think with this one, uh, you see just kind of between this high-pitched whistling sound, uh, between watching its comrade just literally get uh, devoured alive, um, and you're just kind of standing there with this pointy stick. Uh, you see this uh, dog just kind of yelp, and uh, just with that, you just see a flash uh, and just kind of a whoosh of air, and this creature is gone, out of existence. Um, and um, with that being the case, 
you kind of look around and try and kind of catch your breath. Um, but it's almost like you don't, it's almost like whatever the fates have in store for you, today is just not your day because you see now further along on this cobblestone uh, bridge. Give me one more perception check. Okay. Perception. 14. With a 14, you are easily able to see this. Um, further uh, up on the bridge, that seems to just be have been kind of watching this whole situation take place. You hear a more darker growl, a, a more deeper rumble. You see over on this cobblestone bridge, you see that there is another dog. This one stands probably several feet higher than the original dogs that you had just got into a scuffle with, but this one has two heads. Um, it almost looks uh, to us at home like a hyena um, in facial features, but if that hyena had just kind of a lot of long um, tusks of hair that stand up on end, uh, almost very pointy in nature, um, it's its fur is kind of a dark matted brown and black uh, and it snarls uh, at you um, and uh, as this creature starts kind of taking a few steps forward and this shrieking is still going on but give me another perception check this is just to see what's going on around you uh, in the immediate area 16 this time with a 16, you see a small, relatively almost invisible um, creature with uh, brightly colored wings and what seems to be some sort of small little kind of grass dress, um, almost the size of, uh, I would say, uh, no more than, than, a, than a human-sized hand. Um, it kind of floats by your face. Uh, blocking this literal nightmare of <laughs> canine proportions um, that you were staring at a second ago. Um, and it kind of looks at you, and, and you can see on its small little uh, elf-like face, it kind of smiles at you. Um, and then you hear kind of this sound of uh, what sounds to be like small little bells, and the ear-splitting screech that has been emitting still from these plants starts changing more to a soft whistling sound. Um, and uh, you again hear like a small noise from this creature uh, in front of you, and then it just kind of vanishes into existence. And as this softer whistling sound uh, takes place, you see that this two-headed dog that is still standing on the bridge uh, starts kind of like shaking its head and kind of protests from this sound. Um, and in front of it emerges another figure blocking uh, this this two-headed dog uh, from advancing. Uh, this creature is, uh, after you take a look at it, uh, the same humanoid that you saw earlier. Uh, it's got still wearing this robe, and it still has this large, uh, kind of long staff. And you see it just takes the staff and lifts it high up into the air, and then just slams it down onto the ground uh, with a very loud thudding sound. Um, and with that, this dog is sent flying backwards, almost close to about 47 feet back the way that it came. And it lands with a very heavy thud in the middle of the, uh, uh, 
bridge and you see that this dog stands back up and, and you see that like one of its shoulders is slumped and you hear it kind of just yelp and um i think roll me a medicine check i think that this would be relatively obvious for you 11 I think with an 11, you can tell that whatever it is, you know, whatever this anatomy is of this other species, you can tell that something is not right there. Um, and you see that just from the way that it is walking, uh, most likely that broke its shoulder. Um, and you see that this, the, the two heads uh, kind of like fight between each other, um, trying to figure out what to do. But after a few minutes, they just turn around and, and, and bolt back um, past the bridge onto the other side of the landmass. With that... Uh, you are now out of combat. Um, you see this figure turns to you. Uh, you can now see some of its facial features. However, most of this hood um, keeps it um, shrouded in this kind of what almost seems like an unnatural darkness. But from the facial features that you can see, you could tell that this creature is kind of smiling at you. Uh, as it slowly walks over to where you are, um, and, uh, as it, uh, as it does, um, you see that it sets down its staff and kind of kneels before you and sits down kind of cross-legged in a very meditative pose, and he sets the staff down, um, across his legs, and, uh, he just kind of studies you, and then he says, hmm, interesting. I was waiting before I got involved, but you handled your own there pretty well. I noticed that you were following me, little one. Do you speak? Do I speak? Um, roll me a, no, I'm, I think, <laughs> I think that he is speaking to you, um, Here's what I'll say. I don't think that necessarily at this exact moment you speak or are fluent in common, but he is more so not even speaking necessarily. You don't even see his mouth moving. It's more so this is speaking directly into your mind. Um, and I think the answer, I'm going to roll a d20 for just pure luck. Got a 12. I think... You're not sure if you speak. I, I don't think you've given it a shot. I, I think uh, that the most that you've done is the literal equivalencies of Link's Haya as you're trying to. <laughs> Maybe a scream here or there when it got bit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. yeah. Like screams of pain. Yeah, but I, I think I, I think it's it's very limited, um, to say the least. Uh, so he is more so just speaking into your mind, but you feel as though that you can respond with just your thoughts. Uh, what what are Vichy's thoughts in this moment? Uh, the first thought that comes to Vichy's mind is uh, pain, because he, he has, like, less than half of his health yeah. left. Yeah, you were, like, and, bleeding from your shoulder and stuff, yeah. And he's going to slump to the ground and say, in his mind, hurts, confusion, lost. Okay. He reflectively uh, nods, and... Uh, you see him just kind of um, look you over a little bit, and uh, he uh, says back to you, he says, I can heal you 
Would you be interested in making that pain go away? Vishi responds back, yes, and actively looks up at him uh, from where he's on the ground at the moment. Okay. Uh, you just see him nod, and uh, he just he, he doesn't even move his, uh, his staff that he has kind of just basically laid across his legs, but he just kind of lifts up uh, his hand. Uh, and you just see him do like a slight gesture and as uh, as he does that you immediately just feel like almost as if whatever had happened prior with these dogs attacking you never happened uh, you you see the the gash in your arm and the bite marks in your shoulders uh, they go away uh, you see that those wounds just close up and it's almost like they were never there, and you feel like you just woke up from a nap. Uh, you have been restored back to full health. Um, with that, uh, he uh, slowly stands up, and he says, and he, you see him kind of stretching, and he says, You know, I don't normally help those that I see wandering around. But, uh, and by the way, just for nuances here, you're able to understand all of the vernaculars and, and words that he is saying. Um, if for whatever the, the sense of this telepathy magic is, you can understand like, like the definitions of things of that, just to keep things flowing continuity sake. Right. Yeah. Um, and he continues, and he says, uh, I don't normally help those that are in trouble very often. I'm the ones... I'm the type of person who doesn't like to interfere. But for someone to put up such a brave fight, it only seemed worth it. Besides, that other dog trying to come in there and take the table scraps was just unfair. In any case, I can understand that you feel lost. This world is not yours. Unfortunately... I have used up the last bit of my magic to be able to get back to that location. And unfortunately, the way that these things work, it is very difficult to go back. Um, I feel a little bit bad, though, because I feel like you were following out of curiosity or something. And I feel as though I have meddled a little bit in affairs that I wasn't really trying to. It seems as though this land has already changed you drastically. Uh, and he continues to look you over and he says, It's very interesting, these Feywilds, how they change people. And even creatures such as yourself. Would... I just... I, I'm not sure what else I can really do in this situation. Tell me, little one, how can I help? He's just gonna just stare at him, still like rubbing where he got bit, and looking around, and just the constant thought of not knowing what's going on, not knowing where he is, not knowing who he is, uh, filling his brain, and then a small snap to a focus of the question of what this creature is asking is to say home 
need need home. And that's all he's going to say. In okay. his mind, of course. I think that this creature is of such a high caliber. And I, I want to use the word creature loosely with quotations here. Um, this creature that you were speaking with is a, such a higher level of um, literal uh, knowledge and wisdom that I don't even think that at this point it is even really um, wanting a response, but I, I think that it is uh, surprised that you were able to kind of like respond back to it. Um, but I think with this, you do feel this kind of pressing um, shroud um, with this uh, telepathic link. And it's almost like your thoughts are also uh, being transmitted to it. Um in addition to the ones that you are saying directly to it. And I think that it just kind of stares at you, and then it kind of stares away back towards the babbling creek um, and the bridge. And it says, Hmm, yes, yes, home, fear, and these unforgiving lands. And I don't even think, I, I think that you're able to tell that he isn't even really talking to you. He's more so just monologuing at this point. And he says, um... Yes, these uh, lands can be very unforgivable, especially for, well, for lack of better words, a baby such as yourself. <sighs> yes, I feel like I've meddled in affairs way too much than I already have. Tell you what, I can't offer you home, and he turns back to you, but I can offer you power and knowledge to be able to at least defend yourself and be able to survive these lands. I only have, as I said, I'm not somebody who normally interferes with things. Uh, and you see that he, at this point, uh, takes, uh, takes an arm back behind his back and you see him kind of rustling for a minute and then he takes a backpack down uh, off of his shoulders um, that was shrouded by this cape and he sets it down at his feet um, and he says I would only have one request if I was to help you with this I am greatly already going a little bit further than I should be here my business here is really time restricting um, and he looks back over his shoulder for a few moments, he says, I have this item here. And he uh, reaches into his bag and he pulls out a, um, I would say like a meat, like for you, it would be the, the probably the equivalency of like a small cabbage. Um, but it's not a cabbage. It's a egg. Uh, for lack of better words, it is a oval shaped egg. And it is this kind of cherry red um, that has like these swirling, um, uh, orange stripes on it, uh, and if you walk, if you look at it, it's almost like it glows and it moves, and the patterns shift and change over time. Uh, and he says, uh, "I have this thing here, and my only requirement, if I was to offer you a way to survive in this unforgivable land, is that you watch over it until I decide to return and." Take it back. Do you think you could do that for me? This you will not. Wonderful. 
Well, as these things go, I only have to have you sign some things. Um, don't worry. It is relatively simple. Uh, I just have to contact one of my compatriots. Give me just one moment. Um, and he steps away from you for a few moments, and he, uh, he goes more over to, like, the edge of the bridge where the stream is, and he faces away from you. And you hear him muttering something, but you can't really understand what it is. Um, and then, uh, a flash of light happens. Um, and I'm not gonna, I don't think I'm gonna really mess with the, the icons here, but, uh, a flash of light happens uh, almost out of nowhere, and next to this character, as he starts walking back to you, is another shorter character with, uh, he is red um, skinned, and uh, you can see that he is, uh, he has these wings uh, that he flaps around. He's not even really, uh, at this point, uh, standing, but he's very small, almost your height, but he's just kind of floating around in the air, um, and as he uh, comes over to you, you can tell that he is definitely not uh, of any sort of humanoid that you've seen before. He has these kind of uh, deer-like um, antlers, uh, and he is—he has these little um, spectacles on his uh, face. Um, and you see him holding a piece of paper uh, and what looks to be uh, some sort of pen. However, of course, in your newer state you really wouldn't know what these items are they just look like uh just a billowing leaf and of course some sort of like feathery thing um and uh he says uh ah you did it again i take it well i'm not mad at you i suppose this will be a good proposition so you're just offering a protection uh and he is asking this question to the other one and um the uh, the one that you are speaking to says, "Yeah, yeah, that's about right." Uh, do you mind signing up the legal documents for me? <sighs> sure, sure, I can do that. That's no problem. The flying one says in response, and um, he says, uh, "Does this one speak? Is he sentient?" I, I mean, I think so. Um, I would just go te- telepathic. Just all knowledge. Yeah, just all languages. Just keep it simple. Um, and with that, this one that's flying over uh, flies over to you, and he kind of plops down on the ground uh, relatively hardly, uh, and then uh, you see him kind of study you for a moment. He says, <clears throat> All right. I... And by the way, you again, you're hearing this in your mind. Um, and he says... My name is, well, I guess not really relevant. Just know that I'm here to basically make sure that this contract goes in place correctly. So, this gentleman here, and he points to the one that you've been talking to. His name is Sparky. Or, at least that is the alias that he will be using moving forward. And, what is your name? Uh, and he is asking you this directly. Uh, so... Mishi doesn't have a name yet, so he's just gonna say in his 
mind because again when he went through and got changed he doesn't remember right and he's gonna just say what 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 is name um and i think with this uh the other one who you've been talking to uh shakes his head in amusement and he steps forward and he uh taps the other one on the shoulder and he says uh he recently was changed ah ah yes that makes sense okay all right i can work with that hmm name 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 tell you what and he looks behind you at the uh the giant towering uh plant uh and are you still holding this thorn sword yep okay and he looks at you uh holding this uh thorn sword and he says huh i guess that's uh fitting i suppose a uh um boss uh should we just name him vichy that is the name of that plant anyway uh and you see sparky kind of stroke his uh stroke his face uh, which is still shrouded at this point uh but you could see that maybe there's like a beard there or something he says uh eh, it seems fitting might as well uh legal purposes anyway it doesn't really matter it's just a placeholder fair enough uh and the winged one turns back to you and he says uh all right so <clears throat> This contract contains the full details of the pact agreement between you, Vichy, henceforth are going to be referred to as the Gifted and the Devil, known to Vichy as Sparky, whose true identity is linked to that alias in the official records held in the archives of Granite Isle, and who will be henceforth referred to as the Patron. Any disputes over this contract and the application of terms within must be presented to the diabolical courts within 1,000 years of the infraction within the eighth layer of the nine hells. Um, and uh, you see Sparky kind of look over. He says, oh, I uh, also promised them in exchange for that that they would take care of this egg for me uh, because, you know, I'm running late as it is. Ah, oh, okay. I will enter that into the uh, contract. Wonderful. Can can we also say that after the contract is signed, it's uh, written in demonic on the back of Vichy, so he has a copy of it because he has nothing else to carry it with? Um, how the contracts work, if there is ever something that you want to reference, uh, basically you just uh, – I, I, the way I've kind of interpreted it is basically you just ask to, to – the, basically the, the – you make a prayer to see the contract and it just materializes out of thin air. Like, I know. I just, I think it would be thematically cool to have it like tattooed on his back. Okay. Um, you know what? I'm going to say that Vichy, like he doesn't really know how to describe this like thought process, but I think like, this is like your thought process as Vichy. Like, I, I'm never going to remember this. I don't have anywhere to carry this. I don't, you know, basically. And, uh, um, he says, uh, well, we could just uh, we could just put it on you, like on your back or something. D- do you want that? Some people put it on their arms. And he just kind of looks at his hand, where he has like what looks to be runes all over his his arms. Um, he says, uh, "Well, what would it be? Do you want this wrote down on uh, like your body somewhere?" Maybe she's just gonna nod. Okay, uh, he says, "I guess the back." I mean, this is gonna be a lengthy document. All right. Uh, don't worry, it won't hurt. Um, and you see him just kind of snap his fingers. 
And it's almost like uh, you feel that warm uh, sunshine on your back again, but it's a little, it's almost as if it's like a little too hot, like like basically pressed against the window of your uh, cage for too long and the sun's like basically blistering your back a little bit. So it's a little uncomfortable, um, but not overbearing. But then it goes away. Um, and he says, <clears throat> anyways, as I was saying, <clears throat> in the case that the gifted, uh, oh, sorry, I should probably go back. Uh, basically, henceforth, you're going to be referred to as the gifted and the devil here, known uh, as the patron. Anyways, in the case that the gifted, mm, wait, ah, gosh, hold on. And he, uh, you see him adjust the spectacles on his face. Oh, okay. There's numbers here. All right. Number one. In the case that the gifted undertakes its action, breaking from any term from term three to term eight, and the patron is able to supply evidence to the diabolical courts, the patron has the right to add an additional term as outlined in term 10. Number two. In the case that the patron provably misleads the gifted in order to gain the right to add a new term, the gifted has the right to strike one term from the contract as outlined in term 11. Number three. The gifted shall take no action which directly or indirectly grants a monetary, influential, or tactical advantage to the demons. It is the responsibility of the gifted to be aware of the consequences of their actions. Number four. The gifted shall not take part in any plot or scheme that undermine the patron, nor will the gifted keep any information regarding such plots or schemes from the patron. Number five. The gifted shall, in all their dealings with the nine hells, works towards the benefit of the patron and the request, in this case, regarding the egg. The gifted is permitted to request aid from anyone they see fit, but if harm should fall on the egg as a result of misjudgment or otherwise poor dealings, or is found to be beneficial to the devil's greater plan anyway, the gifted can be charged with breaking this term and committing a major infraction of the contract. Whoa. What in the world? Oh, you know what just happened? That was weird. Uh, my keyboard just spasmed out and deleted like half the contract. Oh, oops, I dropped, oh, no. I dropped some ink on there. I will just rewrite that. And you see him just like really quickly rewriting something. It says, <clears throat> anyways. Number six. The gifted shall maintain consistent obvious protection towards the egg and work towards the other servitude to the patron regarding this item when possible. If the gifted directly aids any other group or indirectly aids any other group with the intention of undermining the plans for the egg, the gifted can be charged with breaking this term and committing a major infraction of this contract. Let's see here. Number seven. The gifted shall in all their dealings with the patron work to benefit the nine hells with the exception of any situation which would require the gifted to break another term of the contract. Number eight. The gifted shall avoid angels and the first church of autumn, ensuring that said groups are unaware of the pact agreement between the gifted and the patron. If the gifted intentionally reveals the pact agreement to angels and or the first church of autumn, the gifted can be charged with breaking this term and committing a major infraction of the contract. Number nine is a little bit lengthy here, so I'm just going to skip over it. Anywho, number ten. In the case that the gifted undertakes any action breaking any terms from term three to term eight, the patron uh, is able to supply evidence of this to the Bible courts. And the patron has a right to add any term, and this additional term may either grant complete ownership of the gifted souls up to 99 years, which is... Oh, man, this is just a lot of words. We're going to skip past that. Uh, let's see here. Blah, blah, blah. Number 11. You look like you're falling asleep. You know, it's great. It's perfectly fine. Um... Ah, number 12, the final one. In the case that the gifted commits a major infraction of the contract as defined in each term, the patron gains the right to revoke the pact agreement and gain eternal ownership of the gifted soul at any time. Alternatively, at any time, after the gifted commits a major infraction of the contract, the patron may offer the gifted a choice between a modification of the contract or an end to the pact agreement as described above. There's some stuff in here about giving you, like, some magical powers and uh, some cool stuff and spells, but that's not important. All right, well, that wraps up my job here. Anything else, Sparky? Uh, or Sparks or whatever your name is. I think it's Sparky. Yeah, that's what I have here. <clears throat> uh, no, 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 Billy, that's that's fine. Thank you. That. Oh, oh, did I fall asleep there? I feel like I did. Oh, yeah, yeah, you were, you were definitely story. Oh, uh, sorry about that. All right, yep. Yeah. Bye. Have a good one. Um, I don't need you anymore. Be gone. 
Uh, and with that, he is just, uh, he just vanishes. Um, and by the way, for the ones that he did skip over, <laughs> uh, I will send you a full link to this Google Doc. Um, it is very lengthy. Oh, boy. Um, <clears throat> wow, my voice between those two characters. Hmm, interesting. Demons, they destroy your voice. Yes, they do. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, but only for the right price. Exactly. After this, um, give me a perception check with advantage, please. Twenty-six. Okay. With a twenty-six, uh, it's almost like as as this um, parchment disappears along with this um, strange flying creature. Uh, you immediately kind of feel this uh, this energy kind of course through you. Um, what color is your fur normally uh, before White. changes? White. White is normal. Okay. Um, and I'm going to say that it is a sunny afternoon. Um, so I'm going to say that the first thing, this is what first happens. Um, and then I'll have you do a little bit of additional narrations here. Um, you kind of take a look at your, uh, your humanoid-ish kind of paws. And... Um, you see, uh, as you kind of feel this new wave of energy kind of course through you, you see it starting at the tips of your paws, working your way, working its way up uh, your arms and over to your torso. Your uh, your fur goes from the you said white or gray, white uh, goes from uh, the white uh, kind of nice fur that it is to a dark kind of black, uh, and this courses through your uh, the rest of your fur and kind of shifts around in strange changing patterns before disappearing. And then you... It takes on a new form. Um, what is uh, what is Vichy's fur during a summer day? Uh, that would be the yellow form. Okay. Do you mind describing that for me? Sure. So there's... Um, it's... Similar to looking at, if you've ever seen the sun through a telescope, how it's like a reddish yellow and moving, that coloration appears on his back and his arms and his legs and on his ears. On his face is a emblem of a sun and on his chest is a emblem of a sun as well, uh, both lightly glowing. Uh, not enough to like shed light, but enough to notice. And the rest of him is white. Okay. Um, <clears throat> and you said that his tail was kind of glowing as well. Yes, his uh, the I guess at this point, then his uh, the orb on the on his tail would turn into a little miniature-looking sun. Okay. And um, as all this happens, um. How does Vichy feel about, like, this transformation that's happening? Uh, scared and startled would be a very good way to describe it. Okay. Um, I think that those, uh, I'm not going to add any, I don't think I'm going to add any closure to those uh, feelings. I think that is exactly as they are. Um, but then you notice something that makes you come back to your surroundings. Water. Water is raining from the sky, but something is strange about this. 
as is not from the clouds around you. It seems to be isolated to this area. And then, as this water pelts your face, you look ahead where the creature was standing. With this being the case, uh, you kind of look up, uh, and you no longer see this shrouded figure. Um, as you kind of change your, your, your gaze from what's happening with your own body uh, over to the entity in front of you, you no longer see this shrouded hooded figure. Instead, uh, you see smoke at first. Um, and this smoke almost kind of completely covers this figure, but then you hear a rumble of thunder in the smoke. then a streak of lightning and suddenly you're greeted by a daunting entity of thunder and fury and you see four obsidian eyes staring back at you with a scolding intensity and then another clap of thunder pierces from its gaping mouth with deafening intensity and you see six jagged horns adoring its burly head which look almost bark-like in nature. And you see a constant plume of smoke escaping from this creature's skewed nostrils, set within a long, hooked nose. Its burly head sits atop a long and slender body. And you see runes, each glowing cherry red in the night at this point, because it's so much time has passed. Um, and you see these glowing cherry runes um, glowing brightly in the night and they cover parts of its torso. The creature takes a joy in your questioning eyes as you kind of look almost in fear at it and at the same time intrigue. Um, you see two narrow wings extend themselves fully from its back, with scythe-like bones and violent flames stretching upwards. And you see, as it flaps its wings as a, in a long stretch, you see a powerful gust that almost well you feel a powerful gust that almost kind of takes you back a little bit you see the creature continue to glare at you and then you see a vicious smile appear on its face and it says excellent well seems like everything worked out quite well and here you go kid and he uh tosses you the bag uh with this egg in it and he says um well if you excuse me, I must be going. Good luck with everything, and uh, I'm sure you'll see me around every now and then. And uh, with that, his voice also changes a little bit more deeper, and he says, Enjoy your life. And with that, he uh, flaps his wings, and you see him fly off into the um, ever-darkening uh, sky. And you are left alone in this forest. Um, what do you do? Uh, well, I guess I'm going to start going in just a random direction and look for some place I can find shelter. All right. And, um, give me a survival check. Uh, I think this will be the last check that I have you do. A 10 total. All right. With a 10, uh... You look around, and it doesn't seem like there's very many places that you can really go. But then you see the bridge. And underneath the bridge, you see that there is shelter, uh, is along with fresh flowing water. 
Uh, and you're assuming that there's probably plant life along the bank that you could probably uh, put together in some sort of meal. You're not exactly sure what you would be eating at this point, but you're sure that you could probably find something. Um, with that, uh, I think that that's probably where you make your way to. Um, and uh, with that, you notice that it never truly goes night here. If anything, it goes more to a twilight uh, where there is just this constant sunset. It's it's almost a little bit more difficult for you to uh, find a way to kind of sleep with this weird change of time. But we're going to fast forward a little bit here because as time progresses, I think that you discover more about yourself and you know, you're able to kind of understand a lot more, especially with this newfound. It's almost the best way that I can describe it is an information overload. You are so overwhelmed with knowledge that has been basically given to you by this, uh, this entity that you can't even really decipher it. And so you have to just kind of take it piece by piece. Like, okay, this is what I eat. This is, uh, you know, how I, you know, uh, foliage and, and uh, gather ingredients and it's not easy it's not an easy transition um, and even with this when you are sleeping you have these weird visions that you can't even really describe um, but each day it's almost like you get new knowledge from the previous night um, and this goes on like this for the next two months uh, as you are living off the land um, until one day you're traveling around, and uh, you come across what seems to be a relatively big structure, for you anyways. Uh, you can see that this is a um, big cobblestone structure. Uh, it's got uh, lots of little holes in it, and uh, you can see that it towers up into the sky. Um, but that's not really interesting to you. Uh, what you notice is next to this area, uh, next to um, this this structure, you see a small plot of land, and this plot of land has on it uh, what looks to be vegetables and and uh, different herbs and things that overwhelm your senses with good positive smells um, that you haven't smelled in a long time. What do you do? Well, obviously, I'm going to go to it. As it smells good, food is good. As you approach it, you can see that there's all manner and uh, species of vegetables here. I mean, you have cabbages, you have carrots, you have things that you can't identify. Um, but all of them smell very good. Uh, and I'm going to say that it's almost overwhelming to you because uh, up until this point, living off the land is, by any means, finding these sorts of ingredients very difficult. Um, what do you do in this situation? Uh, do you, like, pick some of them? Do you eat them? Like, what do you do? I'm gonna pick some and eat them, absolutely. Okay. Um, <clears throat> as you uh, start kind of sitting down and kind of munching on some of them, and, uh, you know, just uh, remembering what it kind of, like, the, I think as you're eating these, I think it takes you back to, like, when you were back in your cottage and back at what you would classify as home, but you don't really remember what that is but you just you feel this feeling like you're being taken care of does that make sense yes um with that you 
hear a voice. Give me a. Uh, I guess I lied. Give me a perception check. Twenty-three. Okay. You hear a softer voice coming from behind you, um, and you hear, <clears throat> "Oh, little one, I see you have found my garden." Oh, don't worry. It's fine. You don't need to be startled. Please, enjoy your meal. Uh, do you turn around? Uh, yes, as soon as I hear something. Absolutely. As you turn around, you see, um, standing in a doorway is this, uh, woman. Uh, she has this long flowing, uh, dress that is, uh, green, almost as green as the grass that is around you. Uh, and you see that there are different types of flowers that adorn it that, again, you can't really identify, but they are extremely colorful in nature. And you see that there is uh, long um, leaves that uh, seem to kind of make up the upper half of this dress um, and kind of go down her arms. And you see she is holding a long staff that seems to be kind of gnarled into a root at the top. Um, and she's uh, kind of walking on it. And you see that she has... Uh, well, walking with it, should I say. And you see that she has uh, these flowers in her hair, and she has a very soft, sun-kissed face. And she says, um, You know, it's not too often that uh, creatures come into my forest. Tell me, what is your name? We're just going to tilt his head and... I guess by now he's learned a little bit how to speak. Yeah, I think that it's it's rudimentary, but I think like you would know like the, some of the things like your name uh, that has at least at this point been given to you. Um, and I think with with your new found abilities, I think that it, it comes and goes. Like some days you can kind of speak well, and other days it, it's it's a little bit more difficult. I think that right. would be how I describe it. Just in his normal like BC voice that he does. Yeah. Okay, so so he turns to to this uh, person and says, "Oh, uh, 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 um, Vichy is Vichy." Ah, wonderful little one, Vichy. I like that name a lot. Well, tell you what, are you gonna be sticking around for a while? He's just gonna stare at her, confused at what she means. Oh, <laughs> sorry. I would you like to stay? I can help you uh keep you fed and and I I mean I don't know where you came from but do you need help? And I think at this point she's asking this as like a question. So he's just going to nod. Hmm. Interesting. Very well. Very well. I tell you what, little one. How would you like to have vegetables to eat like this every day? His body betrays him as he just can't help but let his stomach go with a loud growl. I love that. Um, she uh, she laughs and she says, uh, <laughs> well then, I suppose it's settled. Tell you what, do you know much about the plants here? I could use some help here in the garden. In exchange, I can make sure you're fed and taken care of. 
Bishi looks again, tilts his head and says, Bishi knows a, a little bit, um, but, but can learn. Bishi good at learning. Well, that's all I ask of you. That's perfectly fine. Tell you what, as long as you're willing to help me replant some of the flowers and things here, I will in exchange offer you shelter and uh, access to my garden whenever you want. Does that sound like a fair trade? He just nods. All right. Well, then, it's settled. Um, and I think uh, we're going to fast forward a little bit. So uh, during the course of, you said it's the next two, about two years, right? About Roughly. two years, yes. Okay. <clears throat> uh, what would you say um, during this time that you and... Um, this uh do you ever learn her name no i don't think so okay um just you know affectionately starts calling her mom okay during the course of this time that you get to know this um this woman and help tend to the garden that you later refer to as mom um what all like what all does like a during this two-year mark like where you're kind of uh is it two years or is it two months? I, I think, here's what I'm going to say. I, I think you age normally now, uh, especially with this new uh, new stuff that's happening to your body. Um, just like everyone else. Uh, you no longer kind of uh, go with the, the rabbit uh, lifespan there. Um, but I think for it's you... It's also no longer naked. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to well, hold on. We'll get to that in a second. I just want to finish this train of thought because I'm really bad about train of thoughts. Um, I think what I'm going to say is to you, it feels a lot longer than it actually is. Does does that make sense? Like you're aging, like, of course, from like 14 to 16. But for you, I mean, that is, you know, you still have that weird rabbit sense of time. Like everything goes a lot slower. Um, does that make sense? Yes. Okay, let's stick with that train of thought. Um, all right, great. Anyways, uh, why don't you describe like what you're wearing and what you're doing during the course of these two years? So one of one of the gifts that he gets uh, pretty quickly early on is just like a a shirt made of vines and leaves. Uh, with little mushrooms, some moss growing on it. Um, it's pretty sturdy, uh, but that's that's his normal wear that he wears. <clears throat> um, his normal day would be, you know, wake up whenever he wakes up, eat a little bit, make sure all the plants are, are happy, uh, having learned to speak with them, um, you know, conversing actually talking to them oh yeah that's I, I probably should interject yeah that is something that uh, this woman teaches you over time that the, the plants have their own language and she teaches you that very early on mm -hmm. so tending to the garden um, you know most often than not you know he could go a week two weeks without seeing another person or being other than just the plants uh, you know with her duties as is uh, coming very infrequently out into the garden. Uh, so those days, whenever she does come out, 
our big celebration days where, you know, he gathers what he considers as a feast, you know, and, and cooks some things for her. Um, of course, all of his cooking is literally just grab some greens, grab some potatoes and fruits and whatever might be available, throw them all in one pot and be done with it. Of course. Uh, but most often than not, it's just, just gardening, learning about uh, stuff like that. Uh, but recently in the last, let's say, couple of months, he's been actually venturing out of the garden, uh, looking for more plants, uh, exotic plants, things that he hasn't seen before to add to the garden. Wonderful. And I think that that's a good um, place to pick up uh, this last little bit of a segment here. Um I think it's uh, along one of these um, ventures, is what I'm going to call them, where you, um, you know, pack a couple days worth of rations and, you know, uh, make sure you, I'm sure you take your, your egg in, in the bag. Um, Always. And, uh, you know, your your weapons and, and uh, does, uh, does she give you, I, uh, the, this is up to you to interpret, does she give you the mace? I think she gives you along with like your shirt and stuff. I would say the mace is more of a, a year anniversary, his birthday, so to speak, because he doesn't know of when his birthday is. Mm, okay. So just one day she comes out to the garden, and I'm going to say just, um, she's like, uh, I wanted to celebrate your, uh, just how well you're doing uh, with learning how to take care of the plants and, and everything, and I think I would like to gift you this item that... I had made, um, and I think that it, it should offer you some sense of security to be able to feel a little bit more secure during the times when I'm not there. Uh, and I think she uh, she takes this item that's been wrapped in like a nice, uh, pretty cloth, and she unwraps it and uh, hands it to you. And it's uh, this wooden, um, it's much like her staff, but it's like this wooden... Um, branch that has been uh sculpted uh with a very kind of a uh club i i guess a bulbous club on the very end of it with that's kind of like sharp a little bit um and you see that there's this plant that has been wrapped around it uh that seems almost like this item is alive um and as you kind of take it uh some of the leaves that have uh, basically because this is a vine that grows up the 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 wood bark of this this club um, and it's not really a club. It's more of a. Is it more of a mace? It's more it, of a it's mace. A mace. It? It's a mace. Yeah, I, I'm poorly describing that. Um, but this mace is uh, is also got uh, this um, vine growing up it, and she explains that this is known as poison ivy, uh, and it can be used to ward off um, anyone who would cause you harm. She puts. Um, so outside of that. Uh, what does that celebration look like? Does Do you just kind of cook a meal, or how does that look? Uh, mostly just cooking a meal. Um, and one of the things that Vishu doesn't talk a lot um, is his comment is very broken still. Uh, it's very simple, quick, short sentences. He doesn't have much grammatic um, finesse at this point. And so instead, you know, his favorite thing is listening to this, you know, of, of courts and, and decisions and these 
fantastical stories that you know he doesn't think are actually real it's just you know just stories mm. to him not knowing that they are 100% real um, gotcha. situations so just uh, I'm assuming like a lot of the times that like when you and her are spending time in the garden it's more so just kind of him listening to stories that she's telling for the most part of just mm -hmm. different things that have happened during her life and things of that nature right which I do want to point out here for her, like she is more so on like an elf standpoint. So like her life is a lot longer. So she has, she never really runs out of stories. And I think during those days, that's usually probably what you do. Like most of the days, just kind of listen um, as you guys tend to the garden and she just kind of reminisces on different things that have happened during different, you know, different time periods. Um, and uh, I think we're going to fast forward a little bit. I think I've, speculated on that that little scene enough um it is on one of such days when uh you have decided to venture out you grab your backpack you grab you know your mace that you've been given uh and your your shield you got your shield too in this moment right yes uh, mace and shield at the same time okay uh, the shield she would have explained you know is a symbol to denote that i am under her protection and it's it's her symbol on the shield oh yeah definitely um, wonderful. Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to skip over that bit there. Um, but yeah, it, it is uh, during this that you 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 equip yourself. Uh, you you pack a couple of days worth of rations because usually I feel like you like to stay out there a little bit um, and, and really try and kind of you know find some exotic plants and stuff to bring back mm -hmm. to plant into the garden. Um, and it is on one of these sorts of uh, adventures uh, that you are you are out in the the Feywild and. Um, you found that, I, I'm going to say that there's a, uh, like a, a little kind of like grassland area. Uh, it's not too densely populated with trees, but, uh, I think with this area, you have found that, uh, for whatever reason, like a lot of really interesting plants grow along this, uh, rolling hillside and you're just collecting them. Uh, you've been, I'm going to say you've been here before, um, but you just, because there's so many varieties of plants, it's it's almost impossible to carry that many of them back. Plus, transplanting a plant takes a lot of time and, and skill and effort that you have come to learn is a tedious process. And you don't want to risk, like, damaging the plants by taking a bunch of them. Um, with all of that being said, you're in the middle of uh, transplanting one of the plants and, and trying to kind of, like, work some of the... Uh, the uh, the roots out of the soil and trying to be careful not to sever any of them too crazily there, um, and it's it's a labor of love, um, but it's something that I think uh, you find solace in because it's I, I think it's something that gives you time to think and reflect. Um, would you say that's correct? I would say that is accurate. Yes. Okay. Um, during this time, uh, you don't really notice the time passing by and. As you're kind of working uh, in the soil, um, something strange happens on this day. Uh, as you're picking out this plant and trying to get it out of there, uh, you smell... I think at first... I'll tell you what, I, I want to roll one last perception check, uh, if you don't mind. Okay. Where's my dice here? Okay, that is uh, 11 plus 7 is 18. Okay. I think since uh, since the time frames of, of just since the beginning, 
I think you've always been very perceptive of things. Um, I, I, I think that's a, a, something that you have found is imperative to your survival. Mm-hmm. Um, with that being said, I think at first you notice uh, the smell in the air. Uh, it's a very powerful citrus smell, um, which I think at this point, uh, to, to not be facetious anymore, you have come to identify as the smell of magic. Um, it is a, it is a very very specific type of citrusy scent. Uh, it, it kind of is almost electric to your senses. Um, much different than citrus plants. Um, there is a very big distinction there. This one is almost like electricity in the air, but with the scent of citrus. Um, with that being the case, you notice that smell in the air, and as, as you kind of like stop what you're doing and kind of uh, lift up your head and take a look around. Um, you see that the wind, uh, it seems to be a lot more visible around you, almost like a soft, um, veil of smoke is how I'm going to describe it. And it starts kind of whirling around you. Um, and do you do anything in this instance as like, you, you could tell that this is magic, that something's going on. Uh, what, what is your first instinct to do in this situation? So one of the things that he quickly learned was very beneficial for him is the ability to affect the trees, grass, and plants to ensnare things. Uh, usually he did it to you know creatures that were trying to get towards him, but in this case he's going to reach out to a plant and cast Entangle and target himself to see if he can like root himself in place. Okay, here is what I'm going to have you do. I'm going to have you do a check that's probably a little unorthodox. I'm going to have you do an Arcana check. Uh, 17. With a 17, the first thing that you notice around you is one of those dandelion trees that you have come to know as the Vichy plant. With this, you cast the spell and try to latch onto it. Tell me, how does this look? Like, is there a certain way that Vichy is trying to do this? Um... How are they going about that? It's very possible it could snap, so he goes for the strongest thing that he can find, which would be a tree nearby. But it's not the tree that latches on, it would be the vines that are in the tree itself. Um, so the the vines that are in the tree itself? Yeah, because you can't bend bark with it, you can't make a tree grab you. It has to be something okay. that's pliable. So, like, you're, you're grabbing hold of, like, the, the roots of the tree and, like, the, the branches of the tree, just kind of, like, ensnaring it, for the most part, the whole thing to stay completely rooted, correct? Yes. All right, so here's what happens with uh, that high of an arcana roll. Um, you, uh, so here's, here's what goes on. Uh, you immediately, instinctively, because uh, the wind is starting to pick up around you, and you're like, I need to secure myself. Uh, so you immediately cast a tangle on targeting it on yourself and this tree nearby. Uh, these vines shoot out from you um, in this ar- uh, from the archaic spell that you are casting, and they wrap around the tree. Um, and you are, for the most part, secure as you're starting to be kind of lifted up off the air uh, into the air from where you were standing. Um, and as the these uh, these winds kind of continue to pick up and continue to spin around, um, and that smell of citrus starts to get even more intense to where it is causing the fur on your arms to start to kind of um, pick up a little bit, almost like uh, 
you're having a bunch of static electricity go th uh, through your fur. Um, as this is happening, uh, the gales of wind that are, are buffeting you at this point are, are pretty strong. Um, the first thing that happens is you notice one of the vines that you have anchored to this tree snaps. Um, and as it snaps, it pulls back a small um, figurine. Uh, and you see something flying towards you. It looks wooden. Uh, go ahead and give me a... Um, you know what? I'm not even going to make you roll for this. Uh, because this uh, this tendril is coming back to you, it instinctively comes back to your hand. And as you look at your hand, you are now holding a small wooden doll. And as you kind of turn it around in your hands, you see that this is a wooden doll of a dragon. Um, it's very small. It fits in the side. It fits in the palm of your hand. Um, which is not very big at all. Um, but, uh, you look at this item, uh, wondering and perplexed, most likely, probably where it came from. Um, and then there's another snap. And this snap is another, uh, one of the tendrils from this spell. Uh, and this time it pulls back, uh, to your hand, uh, something that looks almost rainbow in nature. And as it comes back to your hand, you see that this is a scarf. It is a long, flowing rainbow scarf. Um, and as you're holding these items, trying to figure out what to do with these items and the fact of the predicament that you are in, the air almost feels electric for a moment. And then it seems like whatever is, uh, whatever is the archaic nature of this spell that you have cast... It's almost like it dispels itself um, as basically beneath you, the ground itself just disappears into a white mist, almost like you are thrown back into remembrance of the first time that you transversed in the Wild. You get that feeling that you're flying through the air um, and you have no sense or control of the direction that you are going. And this one is momentarily short and the next thing that you are, are seeing is a what looks to be uh for lack of better words it looks like a ceiling uh is flying directly at you uh well like a bunch of brick is flying directly at you and almost before it it, it feels like it's going to hit you you pass through it um and then there is a flash of light to where you're slowly blinded a little bit and then everything goes very dark um and you realize that you are now in a darkly lit room um, and as you are realizing this, you also realize you're falling in this darkly lit room, and you come toppling down to the cobblestone floor. Um, and in front of you, you see that there is a large dragon that is battling a uh, equally large snake that is made of ash and fire, and it is billowing smoke and fire at this dragon. And the dragon itself is battling in turn with this creature. Um, and I think your first instinct is to go invisible, correct? Yeah, uh, yeah, that's the very first thing to do. And I think as soon as you immediately go invisible from this, uh, witnessing this thing, you see that there's another humanoid against the wall, and it looks like they've been mortally injured. Um, and I think at this point, holding these two items in your hand, I'm assuming you put them away in your bag for currently, correct? Yes. Well, the, the scarf itself 
it, it's not sentient, right? No, it's it's not. It's just a long, flowing kind of rainbowish scarf. Okay, then yeah, that goes in in the bag too. Okay, um, and the wooden doll of the dragon. I'm assuming you you put that uh, in your bag as well. Yes. So you put these items in your bag as you're trying to figure out what to do. Uh, what is your first thought of where to go from this moment? Well, I would I would hide, try to find somewhere safe that is away from any kind of danger, assess what's going on. Yeah. Uh, so I would duck behind a. Yeah, there's like some uh, crates of boxes and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So you hide behind and you're analyzing this situation. And as you analyze it, it looks like. The, the group of people that are against this wall, uh, you see that there's a gnome, you see that there is a cat folk, um, and you see that there is also um, what looks to be someone similar to uh, the uh, demon folk, or at least a little bit, uh, like the one that you met in the Feywild. Uh, they seem to have a long kind of demonic uh, demon tail. Uh, you see some small horns on them. Um, and they're very slender in build. Uh, you also see there is a man that is hunkered down on the, the ground, and it looks like there's a relatively big stab wound going through his stomach. Um, give me a medicine check with advantage, please. 15 and a 12. 15 plus medicine is... Uh, then it would be a 25. 25. You are immediately able to notice that, number one, that this wound that uh, this man on the ground is, is, is he's bleeding out. And if he doesn't receive some sort of treatment, he's probably going to die within a few moments. Um, and secondarily, uh, you notice that this wound looks infected um, by some sort of something non um non-normal. It, it looks like something magical is taking over his body. And it reminds you, I think it reminds you of the very first time that you saw that uh, pattern shift in color when you first got your powers. Um, right. What do you do in this situation? Uh, so Fishy, invisible, would say down to this uh, person and say, oh, oh, that, that looks bad, that looks bad, oh, I can't. I I, I I can fix it. I can fix it. And um, he'd cast uh, a heal on him. And then not just a heal, but lesser restoration. Lesser ah. restoration uh, removes curses and diseases. Gotcha. Um, that's right. So I think what happens is as you cast this uh, this warm uh, this magic, which is this warm kind of glowing light. I think that's kind of how. Uh, where do you cast from? That's a weird question. Do you cast from your tail or your hands? I I can cast from both, but in this case, it, this is a hands-on thing. Okay. Uh, just just was curious. Um, you I think you press your hands against this wound, and you can tell. Uh, that, yeah, there definitely was a curse there, uh, something that was meant to do some sort of horrible harm. Um, and you are able to basically uh, remove that with this warm kind of glowing light that comes from your hands. Uh, and in addition to that, you notice that the wound is closing up and you're starting to see some of the color return to this man's face. Um, but you also sense something else is there. While you have removed the curse, it seems like something else is laying dormant in uh, in this individual um, 
that you're not able to identify. It's It reminds you of something of Fey in nature. And I think at this point, being in the Fey Wilds for as long as you have, you know when something is off. Um, and usually you're able to tell, especially with it happening to you, when um, the Fey magic starts to kind of do weird things to, to creatures and, and uh, especially plants. Um, and I think you've come to find out that plants and creatures are affected very much like the same to fey magic. Um, and you could tell that something fey-like is happening. Um, but you're just not able to sure to tell what. And I think with that, that brings us up to current. And I think that that's where we are going to have our adventure begin for your character. Um, and I think we'll end the episode here. <laughs>